Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast, your go-to source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We hope you tune in often for all things people management, organizational development and change, organizational leadership, and social impact related. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Steve Black about the intersection of HR, remote work, and organizational diversity, equity, and inclusion. Steve Black, welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you joining me today. Um, You join me from Cambridge in the UK. Uh, I'm here in Utah, so we have a little bit of a time difference going on. I'm in the morning, you're approaching evening. Uh, It's it's always a pleasure to connect with people from all parts of the world. And and I know you might tell us a little bit about your story and where you... um, started versus you know where you're at now but it's actually quite relevant considering the current context we're in and the focus of our topic for today which will be around HR and the intersection between HR remote work and organizational diversity equity and inclusion initiatives uh, and I'll be really interested to hear about what you're doing in your company around remote work and some of these types of issues. As we get started, I just wanted to share Steve's bio with everybody. Since co-founding Topia in 2011, Steve Black has been there to see the company grow from a small London-based startup to an award-winning global talent mobility platform supporting organizations around the world. At Topia, Steve leads strategic initiatives leveraging deep industry and customer insight. An expatriate himself, Steve understands the challenges of moving abroad and is dedicated to ensuring that everything that they do at Topia is in the best interests of their customers. Originally from the great state of Illinois, has worked and lived across the US, Switzerland, and New Zealand before planting his feet in London. Steve was previously an, an associate partner at Oliver Wyman, where he led consulting engagements across North America and EMEA. His work spanned aviation, retail, insurance, and energy, focusing on helping clients turn data into actionable insights and operational improvements. Representing his Midwestern roots, Steve holds a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering and economics from Northwestern University, where he graduated summa cum laude. A great background, incredible um, expertise and experience. I'm so thrilled to have you on the podcast today. Welcome. And anything else that you would like to share by way of background, personal context before we really dive into the conversation? Yeah, I think um, probably worth starting off with uh, some words you mentioned there, global talent mobility, uh, a sort of a category that those that live in it know what it means. And those that don't, uh, you get a puzzled look from time to time. So I'm sure your audience probably straddles those two groups. So I guess just to to define that term, it's all about the function within HR uh, that helps ensure that the organization has the right people in the right place at the right time on budget and in a compliant fashion. And at Topia, we've been building out the technology layer to help organizations do that, sort of both large and small. And it was really, you know, born can, out can of I, can I just um, add some there, personal. Can I can I just add there? Um, 
what you just described obviously is super important and it's complicated and difficult to do even when you're just, you know, like in one geographic location, but you start to do that um, internationally and it gets incredibly uh, complex, like exponentially more complex. And so having platforms like yours to help assist the uh, organizations to do that, I think is tremendous. Yeah. And it was really born out of that. Um, I guess the, the sort of genesis was out of personal pain, right? So uh, while I'm in uh, the UK these days, the accent's a dead giveaway. I'm, I'm not originally uh, British. And so moved moved from Chicago over here back in 2007. And super exciting, right? Part of your life, uh, a career opportunity to, to move halfway around the world and experience new culture and, and, and grow and all those things. And then sort of mired in this messy headache of, you know, here's a PDF about London, you know, here's some mess with your storage unit isn't big enough and, and all the headaches that anybody who's moved, uh, you know, can talk about ad nauseum. So it's really been, uh, you know, a, a passion project to try and solve those headaches for the individual, but also uh, for the organization. Uh, and if you can sort of do those both, I think it's, it's amazing to see borders open and the opportunity for, for growth and development that comes with those experiences. Yeah, so I'm, I'm super curious to explore all of that with you to find out more about the origins of the company um, and, and how you built out this platform and to be able to, to help organizations do this. Um, you know, when we talk about a global labor force uh, where, where even more so now than it was even a year ago pre-pandemic where companies have now been forced to move remote and with, you know, managing virtual workforces, the geographic barriers to hiring have been all but eliminated uh, for many organizations. And so if we're actually trying to compete for labor cross-nationally, mm. um, you know, just dealing with all of the complexities around that, that that's a tremendous challenge. Uh, so it'll be fun to, to, to explore that with you. So, so let's start. You already gave us a little bit of an overview about what you do mm. in, in relation to talent, your global talent mobility platform. Um, mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about the company and um, how you, how it got started. Uh, and then you, you have the ADAPT survey. Um, so I also want to learn a little mm -hmm. bit more about that. So, you know, from, from a company perspective, you know, as we looked at, uh, at the market and the challenges for individuals and, and organizations, you know, we saw, and, and I think you alluded to the mobility is a, a messy puzzle of historically pretty disconnected pieces, right? So to get from A to B, there's a, a number of different systems and processes inside an organization, you know, payroll, IT, security, otherwise. Um, then there's a number of uh, external participants, uh, uh, relocation vendor, um, somebody to help you find a new home, to find a, a school for your children, all those, those sorts of things. And you know, historically, all of those worlds have been very fragmented. And it's meant that you know, for the teams trying to manage this process, it's been heavy, heavy manual work, you know, limited view of, of data and insight. And so it's, in many organizations, been far too reactive of a function rather than, I guess, proactive and, and, and more strategic. And so as we've developed the platform over the years to connect those disparate pieces, flow them into one sort of single version of the truth, and then automate the workflows and business processes behind the scenes that actually then interestingly starts to allow teams to shift from reactive and tactical to much more, okay, what role should mobility play in the strategic part of our talent conversations? And to, to your point there, the last year has changed the conversation quite a bit. But it's if not, if anything, it's put more pressure on these teams and these functions to say, okay, hang on. 
now we can have people working from literally anywhere on earth and get the work done, then it becomes, okay, well, should they be there? Is it legal? Is it compliant? What are we going to pay them? You know, do time zones overlap enough? And, and a whole host of new questions that just, you know, 18 months ago weren't even on anybody's mind. And then I was just going to, to, to your second point there, the, the ADAPT survey. Um, so we run a survey uh, on an annual basis now. And the, the goal of that survey is really about getting a finger on the pulse on the the changing employee perceptions around um, what makes a great organization to work for uh, across a number of dif different dimensions, but in particular looking at where people are working, where they want to be working, and, and how that factors into career growth and pro uh, progression. And then on the flip side, also making sure we sample a, a wide range of HR professionals within organizations to get their view uh, and uh, oftentimes very aligned, but sometimes some, some interesting disconnects as well. And we ran, we were you know, lucky enough uh, to, to run our 2020 version uh, and complete it right before COVID became a household name. So we had a nice clean snapshot of perception uh, before COVID started and then ran the most recent version in uh, late December, uh, early January of this year. And then so we're able to draw some interesting insights on how, how perceptions have changed and what it means for this sort of new world of work that we're all talking about. Awesome. So, so let's dive into that a little bit, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, what were some of the, the main findings uh, from that survey and some of the contrast points between, you know, that snapshot pre-COVID to now we're December, January, we've been in this close to a year. Um, and, and, you know, I, I've seen some other surveys over the similar time period and, you know, there's been some dramatic shifts in attitudes and perceptions. So I'm really curious to see what you found. Yeah. Um, so, so some things in there, um, probably weren't too surprising, but good, uh, good validation and others were, were interesting and surprising. So to, to maybe pick out a, a couple of highlights. Uh, so one, 91% of the employees, uh, and this was a survey of you know, 1,250, I think it was, employees across the US and the UK, just from an audience perspective, really focused on knowledge workers uh, and folks that have been working in an office setting uh, beforehand. And of that of that group, 91% um, you know, said that, hey, I should be able to work wherever I want as long as I get the job done, which in a way makes sense. We've all proven we can, like it or not, right? We've got cats and kids crawling all over our laps and and we're finding a way to get it done over the over the last year and so we we've 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 skipped this you know is it possible it is and actually we probably have jumped past a couple of other questions around should you do it and, and where should you do it which i'm sure we'll we'll, we'll, we'll touch on um uh there's a big one and i know it's a, a topic you wanted to touch on um around diversity and inclusion so 94 percent of the hr professionals said that remote work supports actually building a more diverse team you know, 83% agreed that teams of the future should be based on skill set rather than location, right? And and across the board, you know, large percentages, 80 plus, you know, saying, hey, you know, this this shift to remote work, these requests for for remote work or, or, or relocations for personal reasons rather than work, are on the rise and are continue to be to become the norm. So those were all I'd, I'd put those in a bucket of, of of interesting, insightful, not too surprising specifically. I think when we get into some of the more surprising or interesting ones, it gets into this disconnect maybe between um, HR and, and the employee around where am I working, where should I be working, and, and how do I feel about the organization knowing. Um, so yeah, overall, lo lots of highlights, interesting 
splits by by men and women and 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 whatnot. But um, great to see the the excitement and the passion for this future of work and the, and the new world of work. But I think a lot of open questions still remain on. Okay, I, I see the press headline which says I can work from anywhere. What does that actually mean for HR, finance, or compliance teams within these organizations? Yeah, absolutely. And and more. I don't know if you saw this in your survey, but. Uh, uh, I, I did a little bit of research um, with an organization based in Europe uh, a few months ago. And one of the things we found was, you know, just the, the huge shift in terms of attitudes pre-COVID about working remotely, mm-hmm. uh, where most people preferred to work physically in the location to kind of midpoint, you know, uh, late summer COVID, where people are feeling, you know, the fatigue of 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 the social isolation, but also they've, they've been living it and they're, they adapted. Right. And people feeling like, yeah, this virtual work environment's been pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they, they want to continue to see that happening to late fall where the results were people were getting worn out from the virtual work and they're really looking forward to more of a hybrid environment. Uh, they didn't want to give up the flexibility, yeah. um, of kind of this virtual option, but they also, you know, missed being with their coworkers. They wanted to get back into the physical workspace. They they recognize there are there are some limitations to only ever working together virtually in a collaborative sense, um, and so that kind of a shift has been really interesting. Have you seen anything like that in your data? I'm excited to announce the publication of my new book from HCI Press, The Alchemy of Truly Remarkable Leadership, Ordinary Everyday Actions That Produce Extraordinary Results. Consider how the nature of work has shifted over the past 50 years. With increased globalization, rapid technological advancement, and the shift in economic composition, the average job of today looks very different than the average job of 50 years ago. What will the jobs and organizations of tomorrow look like? Moreover, what does this all mean for organizational leaders? What are the core competencies and capabilities of organizations and their leadership that are prepared for continued disruption and geopolitical and socioeconomic shifts? Regardless of what the future holds, increasingly, leaders need to be socially minded, data-driven, decisive, champions of talent, and disruptors of the traditional notions of leadership, teams, organizations, and work. The alchemy of truly remarkable leadership will help you to explore your own leadership competencies and capabilities and consider ways to apply and implement them into your workplace and personal life. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I think that that the, the hybrid model is is here to stay. I, I, you know, I agree with, with with what you what you've seen there, right? I think that some organizations, yes, will um, have said, "Hey, we want everybody back in the offices as soon as we can." But for the most part, I think we'll, for a couple of different you know driving forces, see hybrid be the norm. So I think it was last summer, uh, midsummer, it's relatively early in the in the process. Uh, you know, Siemens announced that 143,000 of their employees around the globe can work remotely two to three days a week, right? So that's not a, we're going virtual and office-less, um, but it's also you know, a big stake in the round for a big global multinational uh, to say, 
you, this world is, is here to stay. Right. And that, that creates all sorts of challenges and questions okay, about, okay, what does that mean for our footprint and, and how much do we shrink office space by and do we end up with satellite offices dotted around a city like London, or do we, do we stay with a smaller, you know, central, central point and, and whatnot. And I think we're, we're only at this point still scratching the surface with thinking about tools for planning. I want to go into the office. Is there going to be a desk for me on this day at this time when I want to meet up with my team and, and that sort of thing? So we've got we're a world of logistical nightmares and headaches uh, coming coming for us soon. Um, but but I think that flexibility is something that we saw employees wanting trending up year on year, but more broadly that um, I, I don't want to lose sight of that personal connection, but I like this, this, this flexibility that I'm seeing. And, and we did see some, some differences. So there was a, there was a male female divide, um, both wanting flexibility, but women valuing it more, right. Which raises uh, an interesting set of questions around as we return to the office, uh, are women going to opt more for, um, remote because of childcare responsibilities in some of our, uh, legacy issues that we need to come overcome as a society, but, you know, we've got a long way to go there and we're going to end up with male dominated offices and female dominated remote. And that actually opens up a whole nother can of worms around succession planning promotions, right? Because if you look at study after study, the people that are in the office next to their manager progress more quickly than uh, those that, that aren't getting some of that face time. So, you know, again, lots of challenges for, for HR teams, lots of opportunity, I think, for the organization to get it right, it becomes a, a piece of the brand and, and the story for attracting and retaining the best talent. But you know the, the, the switching costs for changing jobs have dropped dramatically because we're not factoring in commutes anymore. And so you're not going to retain employees uh, that, you know, that you aren't offering the right mix of uh, experiences to going forward. Yeah, well, that, that's, yeah, that's super interesting. And you already started to touch on it a little bit from the gender mm -hmm. perspective. Um, obviously, lots of things to consider <laughs> around these dynamics uh, in relation to gender. Um, but you, you also mentioned a few minutes ago about the, the diversity, equity, and inclusion components to all of this. HR managers are, are, are seeing it as an important factor moving forward that you know we, we don't need geographic proximity to put together top-notch teams. And in many ways, that kind of uh, flexibility and the opportunity to you know attract anyone from anywhere really can open the doors for much more diverse teams. Uh, but we also know that diversity in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean much. You can get more you know a more diverse group of people around the table, um, but that's where equity and inclusion comes in. You you get you get the people around the table, then you need to treat them all fairly, and then. Mm -hmm. And consistently, and then you need to actually create a safe environment where everyone can contribute and where their contribute their contributions are valued. And that's, you know, this inclusive kind of a culture. Um, and that's the more elusive, you know, thing that we're, we're really going for. We don't want to stop at diversity, though many companies need to start somewhere. So, you know, focusing right. on diversity is good, but you, you need to move around towards, towards um, inclusion. How, how do you see this moving forward um, with more remote work in the future? Mm -hmm. And how can HR teams handle, you know, this, the messiness of the legal compliance issues, like you were mentioning, coupled with the goals and the values of the organization towards inclusion and diversity? Yeah, it's, it's a great, a great point and a, and a big challenge for organizations. I, I think there's a 
to your point, right, it's, it unlocks uh, or removes a blocker, I'd say, right, for, for at least some organizations maybe that have, have struggled to access or retain, um, you know, diverse talent populations. I think there's also a flip side in, in a way when you look at the stats around, uh, you know, um, percentage of women that have left the labor market over the last year, it's particularly impactful to women of color as well. So what, what we've, we're probably taking a couple steps back and, and hopefully we can take more steps forward but i but i think there's some new hurdles and, and challenges it's it's thrown up i think i think for me it's about um thinking about the long-term plan and long-term strategy and then then the, the dni world is one that's been a hot topic for uh, you know my tr world of traditional global mobility in terms of international assignments cross-border relocations and whatnot because for the last uh, five ten years a lot of the conversation there has been hey <laughs> we've done the analysis and the population of people we're sending around the world is by and large senior white men right and that and the the problem with that actually it, it's a problem in and of itself the second problem right is that the um, mobility people with international experience in the organization are often feeders to the leadership team right so you look at um, the stats of the cfos and ceos and their their, their international experience right at, at multinational organizations you almost have to tick the mobility box to get the experience to, to progress and so it's a, it's a pipeline problem much like with recruiting and, and, and education. So I, I think you know, organizations had, had been starting to make progress around how do we make sure that you know, as part of the traditional mobility world, we're getting a diverse candidate pool. We're looking at an, uh, analytics to understand if we have a challenge by region, by line manager, even by function um, to solve the problem earlier on in the process. And I think that it's a similar thing here as it goes to remote work and, and, and flexible working. How do you make sure we have the data to understand and slice and dice it to under uh, to, to see what the truth of the matter is? Are we taking advantage of these these talent pools, or has it just become a, a, maybe a, a redistribution of the teams we have and the profiles we had before? So, I think it comes with building that plan and and trying to define a policy. Uh, and I was talking with this with some HR leaders recently. There, there are too many variables to define the policy for everyone, right? So you can't have a policy for women and men and women of color. And I mean, you end up with so many combinations that it, it becomes overkill uh, or impossible to administer really. And so I think the question is, how do you design a policy which is flexible enough to adjust to varying needs, um, right? Whether it's whether it's childcare support, whether it's education, whether it's, you know, um, uh, inclusion groups and, and like-minded folks within the organization to connect the dots, mentor, and, and those sorts of things. And the policy that Flex then can help you manage through that process and make sure you're sort of hitting the key milestones and, and supporting the folks that you brought on board, right? Because the last thing you want is, you know, bring in, to your point, get diversity around the table, have it fail because you haven't had those next steps of equity and inclusion, and then you're back at square one, and perhaps with some scars along the way that make it harder to recover from that as you go forward. Yeah, and you're absolutely right too about the mobility piece and mm -hmm. the pipeline issues. And I'm wondering, you know, how increasing remote workforce, fee, you know, might reshape that paradigm because, you know. Mm -hmm. I, I get it. I, I've worked as an expat worker uh, in multiple countries as well. It's been incredibly valuable experiences. Um, I personally very much enjoyed it. Um, my wife, not so much. So, you know, there's a part of it's a personality difference, you know. Um, it, but on the other hand, so 
it's, it's nice when you get to kind of test drive an employee who has those types of experiences, right? And see what they're made of in these kind of difficult environments. On the other hand, though, if everyone's interconnected globally through virtual technologies, hmm. do we need that as much anymore as perhaps we did in generations past? So is it is it truly a good marker of someone who should be, you know, moving up uh, in the organization hmm. when you can have, you know, maybe uh, your female workforce is not as inclined towards expat assignments, um, but they certainly can lead cross national remote teams just the same right and it's very it's going to be similar types of experiences i I wonder what how that strikes you and what you think about that yeah there's been a a lot of conversation uh this year around is what does this mean this being this new world of work and and remote teams mean for traditional mobility is this the end of mobility likewise is this the end of business travel right which has been 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 a hot topic as well to to hone in on, on the mobility one i think there's a a couple of interesting dimensions there. So one piece of the puzzle for me is the, what do you, what do you miss by not being there in person? Right. So, you know, like you have had experiences working and, and managing cross-functional teams. And I think the difference managing an, an Estonian team over Zoom versus the difference being in Estonia, managing, managing an Estonian team is, is night and day, right? Because you, 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 the, the cues, the things you pick up at the coffee machine, in the elevator, out to dinner with the team, over drinks, like the, the, the bonds, the sort of cultural understanding and those connections are very hard to, to, to bridge, not impossible, but much more difficult in short bite size, you know, the, the, the four, four edges of the Zoom screen. Uh, and so I think there's still particularly that cultural understanding influence and ability to adapt to uncertain and new environments is a benefit that, that goes away if you're not there, not there personally. I think the, the other piece, and one of the things we found from the, from the survey, is there was only a marginal difference between men and women, you know, I think it was four percentage points, um, on willingness and interest to move abroad. So we have, an, we have a, a situation, I expected there to be a bigger gap. We've talked about traditionally this sort of gap in, in, in desire. And I think what we're seeing is, um, one, people, uh, the desire to move across both groups has increased since before COVID. So it's not a, hey, I could just work remotely. I don't need to go anywhere. If anything, I think it's the flip side of, hey, I can stay connected to my network through Zoom because I haven't been able to see my friends and family for you know much of a year, but I've connected to them in ways maybe I didn't before. Actually, now I'm a bit more comfortable going abroad for three months, six months, two years, getting that experience experience, staying connected over here and, and connecting those dots. So I think that the desire is, is there and, and actually increasing um, somewhat counterintuitively. But the question for me then is the de- how and when does desire translate to actual behavior, right? And, and oftentimes we'll see a drop off uh, for, for a number of different reasons. Sometimes it's that confidence of applying for the position. Sometimes it's sort of um, in, uh, systemic issues and, and, and barriers built within an organization, sometimes cultural and, and, and otherwise. But the, the positive thing for me is the level of excitement and interest is only increasing. And so now I think it's about how do organizations think about those talent deployment models, whether it's a traditional assignment, whether it's a short-term thing, or to your point, some new tools in the bag of maybe I'm going to manage a global team from my location and travel there a couple of times a year instead of living there and coming home a few times a year. So I think 
we'll see more complex, unique models, which are great because they open up opportunities and, and, and doors that didn't exist before. But if I'm an HR, my head is sort of exploding with the complexity that's coming my way of, okay, what, who can do what where legally uh, and what do I need to manage that process? You know, that's a new challenge that for most organizations was a pretty small population, you know, pre, pre this new world of work. Yeah. Fascinating, fascinating conversation. Uh, I, you, you're in the trenches dealing with all this. It, it's, it's so, so interesting. And I really appreciate you sharing all of your insights with listeners today. Um, as we wrap up today, uh, I did want to give you a chance to share with listeners how they can get connected with you, find out more about you and your, your business, uh, and then give us the last word on the topic for today. Absolutely. Um, so you can find us at topia.com, uh, T-O-P-I-A, uh, where we've got the full ADAPT survey in, in all its glory. It gets into some pretty interesting and meaty topics around uh, where people are working and the compliance sort of risks and, and, and challenges there. I think, you, you know, for me, it's it, the opportunity is boundless. Um, it's a really exciting time to be in HR and, and specifically in HR tech. Uh, new challenges are popping up every day for organizations. Uh, and so we're excited to partner with them on that journey to, to help through that. So I appreciate you, you know, taking the opportunity to chat with me today. And um, yeah, anybody's free to reach out and ping me directly, steve at topia.com or find us on our website and, and we'll go from there. Wonderful. Thank you, Steve. It has been a real pleasure. I've found this to be a fascinating conversation. And I look forward to having future conversations with you. I encourage listeners to reach out, get connected with Steve, find out more about him and what Topia can do to help you and your organization. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. We are excited about the launch of HCI's new magazine, Human Capital Leadership. Human Capital Leadership is a free, interactive e-magazine designed to help individuals, leaders, and organizations find innovative approaches to maximize their human capital potential. We will be publishing issues quarterly in August, November, February, and May. Check out the first issue and let us know what you think. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. I hope you stay healthy and safe and that you have a great week.